welcome. My name is Dr. Brian Hackett. I am the director of the Master's in Public History program at NKU. And joining me today is a group of distinguished students from the MPH program here at NKU. And I'm gonna have them introduce themselves. So my name is Evan. I'm a high school history teacher and I am receiving a dual credit uh, scholarship here at NKU to be able to teach college history courses to high schoolers. Hi, my name is Rebecca. I'm a full-time master's student here at NKU. Hi, my name is Cooper. I'm also an NKU student here and I tend to focus on historic preservation. And I'm the second Evan here and uh, my focuses have been for the public history department and uh, doing some TA work here and there with the hopes of uh, maybe teaching some college students one day. Uh, my name is Joey. Uh, I uh, got a history degree in my undergrad with a minor in archaeology, and I am hopefully going to be graduating with a public history MA next week. My name is Candace. I got my undergrad in history and anthropology here at NKU, and I am currently working on my second year in the master's program. I thought we'd start out by having a conversation about the importance of truth in history. As you all know, there's a lot of things out there that, that you know, the, sort of the great American myth, and, I'm, and all civilizations do it. There's this kind of creation. But as we know, sometimes those, those myths can do har more harm than good. So thinking about your own studies, thinking about all the stuff that you guys have been doing in your careers, is there anything that jumps out as, as that speaks to you about the importance of understanding the truth of history? I would say understanding the truth of history, right? So, I mean, there's plenty of times, especially in our digital age, where people are live in all these kinds of echo chambers, right? And there's all sorts of different types of truths floating around. So I, I think what the primary goal of history is anyway is, is keeping the record straight and making sure that while there are all these half-truths floating around, rumors that might have been stirred up by these, you know, different forums and everything, which in their own way are great, they um, they tend to, to maybe get some of the facts and details wrong that the the authority of history should make sure they do. Well, but we just on the topic of like the digital age, you know, it makes it so, quote unquote, information is becoming more accessible. You can just, you know, go on Facebook or, you know, NBC or even The Onion, just, you know, digitally. And you'll see information that you're just like, oh, this is a news outlet. I can take this at face value. Unfortunately, anybody can create, you know, just a, uh, a blog or anything and claim something as fact. And it can be sent to millions and millions of people who may or may not believe it. And, you know, because, you know, most people, you know, don't fact check information. You just might be like, oh, this must be, you know, true. So I think it just it's a it's a word of like uh, almost like a word of caution. You need to be very careful when you're just like looking at any any like, you know, even mm -hmm. even big name news, uh, uh, big name news outlets, because, you know, they are also, you know, uh, um, can have wrong information mm -hmm. spreading, you know, all the time and political motivations. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword of all that information available. It's all that information that's available to be incorrect or kind of skewed as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Brian Hackett said at one point in time that perhaps our con congressional authorities should maybe wear their colors like NASCAR professionals do. All of their names <laughs> of supporting individuals written on their uniform. Might be a little bit better to tell who's supporting what. I stole that joke, by the way. <laughs> it was not original. So it, was I, it was probably George Carlin or somebody oh, that said that, but well, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't take credit for it. <laughs> like to, to me, again, when I'm, when I'm in the classroom, when, I, when I'm with my students, the biggest thing I see is, you know, and you could look up plenty of data for this, is they don't have a baseline. 
So we get to more advanced topics, the stuff you see that you're talking about today. Uh, they don't have a baseline of history because uh, it's just fallen out of importance in schools. I mean, obviously you get STEM, uh, you know, math, science, that's more important. Uh, where I teach, you're only required three social studies to graduate credits while math, science are four. Uh, you know, it, it, there's no baseline for that. I mean, I, I used to teach an early American history class and you say Bill of Rights and they look at you like you're, and these are sophomores, they look at you like you're stupid. Yeah, what, just, what do you mean Bill of Rights? And just so we're clear, right, baseline, baseline foundation, right? Yeah. What they're supposed to know going Exactly. Mm -hmm. If I'm an American, I probably should know the Bill of Rights and what it says because oh, yeah. that's my rights. Right. But then to me, that's, that leads into the topics of conversations of like, you know, you see more today of censoring stuff or what should and should not be shared and misinformation. Yeah. Well, then you get the argument of free speech and the kids don't understand the foundation of free speech and the importance of that in our history. It's part of our history being an American. But since you're not really internalizing that in class, it's not something that they're going to fight for there. So they're, they're more than happy to say, oh, yeah, that person should be censored. That person shouldn't be able to say that instead of it being the opposite side of the coin of, well, maybe I should fact check that person. Maybe I should tap into my prior knowledge, you know, and then go from there. Right. It's less of that. It's more of just like, like you said, it's more, I'm going to take it at face value and I'm just going to run with it. So, so are you telling me that, that history is not, is just as important as science? Oh, for sure. I would, I would argue. Because it's not just that. It's it, in the sense of, yes, science is important for, you know, society move forward, innovation, you know, medicine, all that stuff. But history teaches critical thinking. Uh, it teaches uh, reading skills. It teaches uh, so many different aspects. Uh, but the problem is, one, our administration and our, in my, my view, our lawmakers have told the kids that it's just not important. It's a checkbox. You just need to take your social studies class and you're good. But when you're in that science class, you better be focused because you could be an engineer. You could be an astronaut. You could be this and that. You don't talk about it. You could go be a historian. You could, like you said, help to really lay out the truth of our history, the world's history, whatever it is. Truth isn't, I don't think truth even shows up in the curriculum anymore. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just about, you know, I can tell you from where I teach, what's in the curriculum is creating, quote, democratic citizens, but we don't even have a civics class. How do you how do you create democratic citizens without a civics class? Right, that's, that's crazy. crazy. So they, and they have to take a civics test to graduate, which I can tell you is um, the easiest thing on the face of the planet. I mean, there's there are kids who get done with the civics test, and it's basically the citizenship test in about five minutes and get 100. Mm -hmm. So it, it, they've make they've made it superfluous. So the kids are going to sit there and say, "Why do I care? Why would I? Why would I invest in history when history is clearly not invested in me?" See, that's I feel like that's a big issue right now. Is like, what am I getting back on the return on investment? You know, and that's the, one of the history professors here. I forget who said it. <clears throat> they said like. Humanity is, you know, several hundred thousand year long movie that's been going on. And without understanding the history, then you don't know the cast, the lines, the anything that's been going on. So the more you understand about history, the more you understand where you are and why you are where you are in the world. You know, yeah. the, the whole world around you makes so much more sense when you start to understand history. And that's like so such a hard point to sell to people who aren't interested in history. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You talked about, you know, I noticed my son is in middle school and they're going through the state testing and they, they have an English state test. They have a math state test and they have a, a science state test. There's no state test on history or government or anything. And, you know, it's being taught in school and all the other subjects are being tested. But why isn't history being tested? Uh, it's funny because we just now the state just implemented a social studies test for high schoolers. 
But then we looked at it. And it's not a social studies test. It's more or less, think of the reading section of the ACT. It's just nonfiction reading. That's all it is. Yeah, on, on the top on the topic of the ACT, and this is, I can't speak for, you know, other people, but at least when I was in school, it was this idea of the ACT is the most important thing you're ever going to do. It's going to determine whether you get into college, get a full ride, whatever. And, you know, on the ACT, it's... English, English again, math, and science, and I was I was lucky. I was like, well, where's history? You know, history's kind of... So clearly, you know, there's not, you know, like you were saying, there's not a huge focus on it because, you know... Um, you know, if it's not in the ACT, why is it why is it important? So it's like, you know, the teachers aren't well, not not the teachers. The government isn't like branding it as like, it's like a it's like a, a an elective almost. If you want to be if you want to be like negative about about it, right? And uh, and honestly, if I may say this, this the idea of history. It's not just history as history. I mean, history by definition is multidisciplinary. I mean, how can we have an understanding of sciences behind how engineers do their job if we don't have a public memory to keep that constant stream of human achievement in check? I mean, the idea of vaccines, the idea of any sort of technology we have today. How do we have an elevator without first figuring out how to make a rope or a gear? You know, it's this constant holistic buildup of what we've learned so far in our existence. And it, it makes it all the more important for everything, not just on its own, if that makes sense. It goes back to the whole phrase that's pretty prevalent in science is like we stand on the shoulders of giants. You know, I mean, like history, historians are kind of making sure we remember the giants that we stood on. You know? right. yeah. mm-hmm. Well, then if history, if, if the administration and other people don't think history is important, then why are they so quick to wanting to, to censor it? For example, the critical race theory, the don't say gay laws, things like that. I mean, it, why? I would argue What's that they threat? realize the importance of it because yes. they're acting so prevalently to <laughs> yeah. censor it and to kind of shape the narrative behind it. Because mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like you're trying to, you know, anything that doesn't lead to this idea of what America is supposed to be, we need to hide it because, oh, no, that's, that's not part of our past. That doesn't add to what we think of when we think of our nation. The ideal American. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's been, it's history is being weaponized. It's being weaponized to say, how can I shift the focus? How can I shift the perspective to fit my claim and really discredit the other claim? And then, and then, and then you get the absolutism of it, of you're either with my claim, or you're against my claim, and there's no middle ground. There's no moderation. There's no discussion. It's, I'm going to take this part of history, whatever it may be, critical race theory, you know, Nazi Germany, whatever, you take whatever, and you're going to forget certain parts, you're going to emphasize certain parts, and that's that's it. I make the history. I make the importance, not historians right. anymore. Piggybacking off of that, I feel like while people can pick and choose what they want people to learn about history, I also feel like history is turned into a comedic relief conversation or a pop culture reference. Mm-hmm. I being a historian in the family, obviously, you know, I preach that to my my other family members. But my nephew, he's about to enter high school and I asked him what his involvement with history was. He's like, Oh, you mean like Hamilton? <laughs> and I just kind of died inside and I was like, sure, bud. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, while that is a great conversation to have, it's Hamilton is not 
I mean, accurate, 100%. Yeah, but what are the things that got you involved in history as an early kid? You know, those are the kind of pop culture things right. that sucked me into it. So, I mean, it's, it's a good starting point, but I agree that it's, it's extending, like, how do you promote the idea of, like, dig deeper You'll or learn way more if you dig right. and apply yourself even further? And that also shoots back to kids these days don't have a baseline of anything with, well, not anything, but they don't have a baseline of what they can trust with resources. They don't necessarily think to dig deeper because they're taking everything at face value and believing it and yeah. that's so scary yeah very scary soaking up information on reflex yes it's definitely. a very very scary thing. which is easier too like mm -hmm. it's just easier like if yeah. everyone's telling you what you're being told is wrong then that means you got to do like nine people are telling you i got to do nine different forms of research yeah it's just easier i'll pick one of you guys all right i'm sticking with you i'm staying with you we're done that's like it's just easier trend. But that's what, again, with the weaponizing, that's what everyone's, oh, you're, you're wrong. Yep. That's fake news. That's 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 not historical. That's not real. That's fine. I'm just going to sit there. I'm just going to take it at face value. That's fine. I really like that phrase, weaponizing history, because it kind of goes back to the dissemination of availability of information now. It's like, is that anything new throughout history? I mean, the narrative has always been weaponized all throughout history. It's just now we have all the information and all the different voices voicing it, like, to draw a light on it. Yeah, you know? which yeah. I would argue it's simultaneously easier and simultaneously harder. Harder yes. to yep. find the truth, yeah, because it's all right there, but yeah. you have to sift through more. Mm -hmm. Yep, mm -hmm. exactly. So, do you guys have any experience or, or knowing when history is an inconvenient truth, when it flies in the face of the the popular myth? Okay, yeah, um, this one is really, um, you know, it's been a really popular one recently, and that's the whole motivations behind, you know, the Civil War. The the idea of like, oh, it was about, you know, states' rights and slavery, yeah, it was important, but, you know, it was actually about, you know, the states wanting to get more rights from the South, when in reality, you know, on most most, if not all, of the southern states' secession, you know, papers, it says, we are seceding because of the institution of slavery, and that's basic and that's basically it some you know some southern states were trying to beat around the bush with like you know they were trying to add some other things but then there were some like with texas it's like it's literally about slavery that's why we are seceding and that's pretty much it i know it's dangerous to kind of misquote in this kind of scenario but i think it was mississippi that stated we rest thoroughly on the cornerstone of that is the establishment of slavery i mean it is explicitly stated in there so i don't know if you can really find much more of a stated motivation right there. You know? Although you look at Texas and I think you look at North Carolina and North Carolina says something along the lines of we are doing this because of slavery, the finest institution ever created by God. Yep. That's the first. And then there was other one in Texas. Specifically, it says something along the lines of when Texas was civilized by the white race, forgetting that the Spanish were there, what, 500 years before yeah. The uh, that, white man showed up? That doesn't count. Yeah, I guess not. Because <laughs> in their eyes, it's not civilization until a white man came over. They're not civilized. Exactly. It wasn't in civilization. So let me ask you, what, what is that, how does that screw with somebody's mind? I mean, when you get right down to it, if, if you find out that Texas was not first settled by people that look like me, what does that do to your psyche? What does that tell you? What else? I mean, what does it say? Well, if I'm questioning if, you know, if, if they've been, you know, I'm not going to say use the word lying, but if they've been like, if there's been misinformation about this, what other kind of information, misinformation is, is there about? Are you going to tell me that Jamestown was not the first, was not the first settlement in the new world? You know, it's just, it's just like, what else have we been wrong about? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't fit to, I think the other part is it doesn't fit 
like our history kind of works against ourselves. Again, we're supposed to be America. We're supposed to be superior. We're supposed to be the leaders in, you know, free speech and all these new the enlightened ideas. Free. Exactly. Our enlightened ideas. Contradiction, yeah. But then we're, our history doesn't always, it does at times, it doesn't always fit that narrative. So what do you do? You just shove it under the rug. And then if someone tries to bring it to light, you just beat them down to the point where you're saying you're un-American, you're this, you're that. I mean, I, you look at like ours, if you say something bad about America, like we messed up, we did this, which every nation has, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone's going to get offended because you are being unpatriotic. It's You're supposed to be a good American. But then you go over to Germany and part of their curriculum is they have to go to a, to a Nazi war camp. They have to go to Auschwitz. They have to do that before they end it. That's a terrible part of their history. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible part of their history. It's about as bad as it gets, yeah. But they learn from it and they say, look, this was a bad thing we did. Right. But now we know what happened and we're not going to do it again. Lest we forget. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. While we- Americans, it's like we said in Texas. You know, whatever. You can't say slavery started civil war. It, it, it's all right. It was. It, it just was. It's in those documents. I know it's not fun to talk about. It's hard to talk about. But no one wants to have hard conversations. Again, like I said earlier, they just want the easy way out. I'll take the easy and then I'll live my life. And, you know, again, since history is not important, I just shove it over my shoulder. It's behind me. Who cares? Ignorance is blessed. Exactly. And yeah. it's exactly. a big demographic of people saying, you know, Southern pride and it's my heritage. You know, mm-hmm. heritage not hate and that, this, that, the mm-hmm. other. It's it's impossible to get into the individual motivations for each individual soldier to go to war. But for the overlying theme of mm-hmm. the war, the motivation was that. Yeah, they explicitly yeah. stated in several instances. Because you can argue left, you know, left and right. So I think so. I think it was you, Joey, out there mentioned earlier about the girl you uh, were talking to who didn't know who Robert E. Lee was. My uh, my boss. Yeah, your boss. Yeah. So. Robert E. Lee, and she again, you you said like Robert E. Lee was the epitome of just bad Southern slavery. But when we read some of his stuff, now of course he did support slavery. He actually was going to join the Union first. Then once his state left, he said, "Well, I, I'm I'm obligated to go with my state." So that's the type of stuff where you're not wrong, but you can listen to both sides. You sure. can say. Yeah, he supported slavery, which wasn't good. But at the same time, he kind of had a personal obligation. But if if it's a politician talking about it, it's no. Either if it's a you know Democrat, he hated he you know he hated uh, African Americans, hated blacks. He wanted it you know he wanted to fight for slavery. If it's a Republican, no, he was just being a patriot for his state. There's no middle ground. Exactly, and I think that when we bleed history down to those basic components, we do a disservice to all the complicated men and women that are that are throughout their time periods. People are complicated. People are, are very gray. There is very little black and white in our society, but we are constantly conditioned to believe otherwise. Blurred lines make people uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Same. And, yes, yeah. I agree. By definition, history becomes uncomfortable because yeah. yes. it's that exact thing. But yeah. you learn from that. The uncomfortable makes us learn and become, you know, it creates, we have to create new ethics and morals based on the path. But if you mm-hmm. sw- if you sweep all that under the rug, mm-hmm. you have nothing to learn from. You can't grow as a person if you ignore all the mistakes that you've made. It's the same. A nation can't grow if we ignore all the mistakes that we've made. Mm-hmm. Well, then you shift. Science doesn't have that. Science is black and white. Right. Uh, that's right. what they love to say. Science is yeah. black and that's white. It's easy. It's yeah. comfortable. Science doesn't change. You know. You know. The earth is the earth is flat. And humans can't fly. <laughs> right. you know, if I add this chemical to this chemical, I'm going to get this reaction. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time. Right. <laughs> 
but no, back to back to back to what uh, you were saying. You were saying earlier, you know, with the Robert E. Lee thing and, yeah. my, and my boss. It wasn't so much about like uh, what she thought Robert E. Lee was. The fact that someone who was close to my age didn't know who he was, mm-hmm. and I was. I said to her, you know, this person was, you know, I Jefferson Davis was the leader of the Confederacy, but Robert E. Lee is generally modern day the face of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. And when I said to her, "How do you not know this?" she said, "She said she said I just don't care about history. It's not important." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first question I ask every every semester how many guys actually like history I get like three hands it's, it's fantastic oh I will say by the end I ask it again I get maybe ten so I think I'm doing my job pretty well but um, but uh, but uh, but yeah it's 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 not a and that's the other part is I think it kind of falls on historians too of yes uh, we're, we're a little bit uh, we're a little bit you know uh, stiff and we're a little bit uh, you know we're, we, we, when we write, we got to write historically, we got to write with facts and we can't make it sound nice and pretty and all this other stuff. I'm, I'm sorry. You got to you got to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. You got to make it sound a little bit nice. Otherwise, keep, people aren't going to read it. It's just not going to happen. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say that because, the you know, history is a story, a good story well told. Mm-hmm. Can we still have great stories even if we're telling the truth? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I think you can. I mean, I. I I will say I have stopped reading plenty of history books because I'm like, I'm about to fall asleep after two pages. <laughs> it may be great. But what you're saying is 100% great, but I cannot get through this. And I'm, I'm a guy who loves history. Right. But if someone's writing factually, but in a you know eloquent way to where they're still enticing and they're still bringing me in, that's what gets kids and that's what gets people you know into history, not you know, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. That's just, that's just uh, not real. Good <laughs> I, I like that. No, but, uh, no, but, uh, so seriously, I would, I would almost argue you need to, you know, with the, like, the textbook kind of stuff, you need to sprinkle in other things. Like, I'll use a personal example. When I was in high school, I, you know, we taught the Holocaust for about two, two years, and it was so unbelievably depressing for obvious reasons. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to read it anymore. However, there were other things that supplement, uh, like, added material, like, uh, Ellie Wiesel's Night, which was like uh, a, a, bio, a biographical, what's the word? Biographical, biographical book that was like, this is depressing, but it's also like in a different light. And it kind of took away a, a, some of that because like, oh, the entire thing wasn't absolutely horrible. Something good actually came out of it. Like with this, like with this story, I think there needs to be just other stuff. that's like, as you're saying, not just reading it from a, from a textbook. Uh, just like, you know, paragraph after paragraph. But one of the books that people are trying to cancel is Mouse, which is a, you know, anti, um, uh, it's, it talks about the Holocaust, but that's what they want to get rid of that. And I don't understand, is it because people are uncomfortable with it or that they want to, they want to get away from the Holocaust as being a bad thing, which we all know if you ignore the past, it comes to repeat itself. Specifically speaking, you have, you know, uh, you know, you have some events that were like, if you you wanted to like debate something like, uh, Julius Caesar did uh, a very long time ago. That's one thing. But with the Holocaust, there are people who are alive who did it and people alive who were victims involved in it. It's not even 100 years and they're already, it's a growing number of people who are saying, oh, this didn't, this didn't yeah. happen. And it'll increase the more people who actually lived those events die off. You know, mm-hmm. the, the further we go away from important events like the Holocaust, the greater risk we have as later generations becoming more distant from that memory. Because it's less close by, we, we must face the facts. But um, I think to answer your, your question specifically, I think there's probably a lot of preserving innocence. You know, I don't really want my children exposed to this and maybe warping their views on humans, what we're capable of, and who we really are. But I also think the benefits 
greatly outweigh the cons of exposing and bringing to light, you know, the atrocities and just how far down a rabbit hole humanity can go before yeah. coming back to, you know, a good side, so to speak. <laughs> and you, to me, you get also the political aspect of it, of when politicians on both sides use those phrases just willy-nilly. Those you, know, you throw those, yeah. not, you're a Nazi, you're this and that. You're not a Nazi. You're not even close. You don't even know what a Nazi is. You might be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly. You might be a jerk. You might be ignorant. You might be whatever. But people throw those words around. So then, unfortunately, like the Republican Party is more associated with conservative uh, conservatism, which is associated more if you go to the extremist fascism. Thus, if I'm talking about Nazism, I'm talking about how bad Republicans are. People make that massive leap to where you politicize it and then okay, well, we can't talk about it because my kid's going to grow up hating conservatives and he's going to be a liberal. And, and that's just, oh my goodness. And how much do you think, like how many buzzwords did you just throw out there? Yeah. You know, fascist, mm-hmm. conservative, liberal, all those. Yeah. It's like how much of our vernacular has been skewed to fit a political agenda these days? And it falls yeah, right. into, again, the importance of history of if we place importance of guys, you cannot throw those words around. You don't know what a Nazi is. You weren't there. Yeah. You, but you throw it around, like you said, like it's the word jerk. Like they aren't, they're not equitable. They're not the same thing. Not even close. Nazis were jerks, but jerks aren't Nazis. Yeah. It's not that. It's not, it's not that. And so it gets even more dangerous though, because all the talks of, oh, they're a filthy socialist. It's like, yeah, socialism yeah. does play a role in our economy and our mm-hmm. society. I mean, it's not a horrible, yeah. you know, evil institution that we come up with. I mean, there are pros and cons to every kind of economic system, but like just the blanket statement, oh, if you're a socialist, you're bad. Oh, if you're, you know, any kind of left-wing liberal mm-hmm. idea, it's bad. Like it's just yeah. such a, it's dangerous to get to black and white. Again, we go back to that. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we just talked about in my class, uh, AP class, we just talked about the end of the Cold War and then literally the last bullet when we're going through notes, it just says the reason today socialism and communism is such a buzzword is because of we saw from 1940, well, before that, 1917 to yeah. 1991, how bad communism can get. Yep. So that's all people do now because yep. they associate negativity with communism. Not to say communism is perfect because it isn't. Um, but history, you know, people will skew, not really skew it, they'll use it, again, weaponize it to fit their viewpoint. Oh, look at the Soviet Union. Communism's always terrible. We got one example of it. Yeah. And it wasn't even pure communism. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, again, perverted in a way to gain power from a totalitarian regime. Right. I don't think we've ever really seen true communism unfold in our world, to be honest. We've never really seen true free market capitalism either. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I mean, these are utopian concepts that you could argue are maybe never attainable in real life. They, exactly. they have never been. Mm-hmm. So it's important distinction. It's it's irony sometimes that when we do see examples of pure capitalism, people don't like it. For example, the, the sample I like to use is um, Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. He's a, you know, he he you know, he took a knee at the national anthem and he pisses everybody off, but he's supported by Nike. Why is he supported by Nike? Can any of you think about why he would be supported by Nike? Because he makes them lots of money. It yeah. makes them lots of money. <laughs> exactly. It's a buzzword now. Yeah. It's a buzzword now. And so, you know, Nike's because the people that support Colin Kaepernick buy Nikes. The people who don't support Colin Kaepernick buy New Balance. <laughs> and so you don't see New Balance taking a side on this because they're not stupid. Well, they'll, they'll always have, you know, new dads to buy their shoes. Yeah. Their nice white, white shoes and new dads. Yeah, always <laughs> hard to cut. Yeah. Yeah. Right, when, right when you know she's pregnant, you buy your white new balances. <laughs> right. Jean shorts. Jean shorts. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, 
It's capitalism in its highest form. Yeah. Um, a good another good example, and you guys will probably laugh at this, but um, you you play video games and stuff on your phone, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to pay for points, so you you sometimes have to watch do a survey or whatever mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Watching that. Watching that. Yeah. Last night I was watching you know surveys and stuff. I was trying to do surveys to get points. I went through like six surveys and they kept rejecting me once I got to my age. <laughs> and it says, I'm sorry, this this is not designed for you. I'm you know, I'm 60 years old. It, I don't care to nobody, I'm not important to anybody anymore. Okay? So that's the way life is. That's that's, that's capitalism. Well, you're not you know important anymore, but furthermore, you're demonized. You're you're because you're old, you're you're outdated, you're you're pushing these old conservative or whatever right wing right wing views. And exactly, like you're just you're old school. So there's also that aspect of it, too, of there's no use, but also we don't want to hear what you have to say because it's, quote, bad or right. counterintuitive or whatever. Well, because there's this, there's this, uh, you know, it's really uh, uh, prevalent recently where it's now obviously young people versus old people has always been mm-hmm. a thing. But recently, you know, you can't you can't even go outside without hearing about the millennials versus the, the boomers. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea of like, OK, Every, every single boomer is this, like, racist, homophobic person who's stuck in the dark ages. On the flip side, every single millennial is this, like, live in their mom's basement, kind of like, has never seen real life kind of thing. And it's like, that is a complete over-exaggeration of both sides. Yeah, stereotypes. Uh, you know, each side has something valuable to uh, say, and it's part of, like, being a, the, the community of the United States. It's like, you know, now obviously, are there both those extremes on both sides? Of course. But like, but like you know, it's like that is way overdoing it as far as like what each side is. <laughs> but it goes back to what Hackett said of you know truth. You know, people don't want to bother like that. They're, they're uh, stereotypes, nice and cushy. It's everyone. Yeah, everyone thinks it. So I'm going to think it. It's black. Well, and the white. truth is, well, the truth is, yeah, there might be some boomers who are like that. But I'm a if I'm a betting man, the majority of them mm-hmm. are much more diverse, as with millennials. Wouldn't it be easier to just say they're all like that and just go exactly. on our way? That's yeah, you know, that's the it's, exactly. it's the easy route. And mm-hmm. people that make these stereotypes forget an important detail: they're human beings. Mm-hmm. Humans, by definition, are diverse. I guess blurred lines make people uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. That's what yeah, stereotypes. They're going to fit into a nice box. Mm-hmm. Yep. It will be yep. much easier. Stereotypes yeah. just break everything. Because then I know my enemy. Yeah. I know. Exactly. If, like, I know. I know who I'm fighting against. You are in this box. I have characteristics of you mm-hmm. i can counter everything you say but the moment you step out of that box well then all, all bets are off well it's kind of like it's kind of like you were talking about knowing the enemy you were mentioning the cold war earlier every american knew that every single russian person was a communist who wanted to take away all of our freedoms <laughs> when right. no you know <laughs> yeah. most of them were not you know it's like what do you mean <laughs> most oh. russians are like most americans they just want to get up go to work and like come yeah. on yeah. and it's the same <laughs> with the nazis exactly they get put into that box and it goes back to the whole narrative and weaponizing it's yep. a lot of that's my enemy it's like that's who i blame for my societal issues you know yeah, it's, yeah. Yep. isn't it strange though that like today we're so divided that both sides would say how great it would be if the other side went away mm-hmm. and we're a two-party system without two parties we're not a democracy we're not america <laughs> right. we're, arguably we're communists because exactly. communism has one party so arguably you're you're moving towards communism but that's you can't say that that's, say that. that's <laughs> logical <Stop>. right <laughs> so so I got a couple of questions. Another one thought, just a thought. Why uh, why does the truth make people uncomfortable? I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but like you said, like um, uh, Rebecca, you said that people don't like gray lines. Why don't we like gray lines? It makes things 
harder to differentiate of what's good and bad for people. So can you think about what the, some of those, those, those lines are? There's only male and female. One race is better than the others, you know. Education, education, people who get overeducated and they, they forget how to think. Right. I think, I mean, it's it's showing up in our census records. It shows up everywhere where there's official documentation. I think we paradoxically like to compartmentalize everything. Everything should be categorized. We have like 10 different types of plants and say like it's the same plant, right? But you have 10 different breeds of that same plant. You're going to put it in the category. Mm-hmm. I think it's just what we like to do. We always strive to find order in our system. When the reality is, I don't think we'll ever truly have everything put in a box. That's impossible. Well, how many, a number of you had mentioned that you have an anthropology background. What do anthropology, anthropologists think about race? What is race to an anthropologist? It doesn't really exist. You know, right. there's, there's only one race. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a concept. We all came from the, the same place and we're all descendants of the same people. Well, how could that be? <laughs> Egad. See, we're, I we're, people don't, people don't like that people, either. So. Yeah. yeah, like, how can we be the same if we're all different shades and sizes right. and, and, all, and all have these different facial aspects? Like, it's just we're, we're, what we observe has to be the same, or if it's not the same, then we're different. And we got to figure out why we're different. <laughs> like, I feel like you're really hitting on the head of how just how many different... Um, <clears throat> you know, solidified ideas that people have that historians typically go against the grain against, you know, whether it's religion, whether it's racial constructs, whether it's societal constructs, the education system. I mean, historians are typically the ones going, your, your perception of it is actually pretty much 100% wrong. You know, it's like, this is what really happened. You know, that's kind of a tough pill to fall. I mean, I remember starting here at NKU, I mean, how many classes I took where it's, uh, you know, my idealized American fantasy history that I got right. from fifth grade mm-hmm. to 12th grade and, right. you know, up in Ohio, not really touching on the realities of, you know, early America, you know, how America got its founding, all that kind of stuff. So we do typically go against heavily ingrained systems that are already exist. It's almost, it's almost kind of like you have to like relearn history a bit. Yeah. A lot of the cast and a lot of the scenes are the same, but, uh, the intricacies of it are very different from the boiled down versions that we get. Yeah. Is that why there's so many people having so much trouble with it? That we're changing the narrative, the wonderful narrative we got from the. Exactly. Old, you know, to go back. Because if you change something, then you're wrong. And again, if yeah, you watch you have the to news, admit if you, yeah, if you watch news for five minutes, if someone's wrong, well, then they're discredited and they should never be listened to again. You know, and that's true in every, you know, occupation, whether it's math, science. I mean, science changes. Science is inherently changed in the last just 50 years. We know things that we thought were correct were wrong. Probably even 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you can't do that with history because then you're politicizing it and you're doing it for no we just figured out we got new sources we look at it in a different way whatever oh, my favorite example of that is custer's last stand i mean mm-hmm. he was an american hero for how long he really well, <laughs> oh, yeah. brought that up and now mm-hmm. it's kind of come to light that he might have been a bit of a turn on your heels and run and kind of get slaughtered while you're <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't really fit the american narrative what a hero right? yeah that's it it's much easier to say he was a wonderful hero who went against the savages, and, you know, it's, they're not really savages. But it's, that's a much mm-hmm. easier, better narrative that promotes more American ideals, air quotes on that. Right? Yeah. Everything gets put in boxes. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. exactly. People, you know, you know, as far as, like, the American hero, people like people like patriotism they like having like good American heroes to look up to and when they're they've been told for the past 30 years guys 
this, uh, this, 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 this like leader or something, George Washington. Let's use an example. Let's use, let's just use George Washington. George Washington was the first president of the United States. All accounts, great guy. You've been learning all about this all the way up through, you know, all the way up through school. And you've been, this has been just beaten in your head. George Washington was great. He, he basically, you know, helped found this country, Revolutionary War. And then somebody, just some guy, says, well, actually, George Washington was actually a slave owner. So he might not have been as great and pure as you think. And you're like, but wait a minute. I've been taught he's perfect for 20 years. And now who are you to come and tell me that he's not? You know, it's just. Well, how many times have you heard people say, oh, well, if he owned slaves, he probably was a really good slave master. You know, in fact, somebody in Congress said the other day that slavery wasn't all that bad. Oh, yikes. That's what I wrote my senior thesis on. It's just the defenses of slavery. And that's what they would say. They were like, ah, it's bad. They're getting three square meals a day. They get a roof over their head. And look, forget when, the part where they're in the fields and getting whipped. Forget when they were given their freedom, they didn't get any jobs. They we're didn't Christianizing do them. Yeah. They're they're going to go to heaven now. Like it's that happy slave myth. Let's put it into yeah. pers- let's put it let's let's just put things into perspective. Um, you could definitely make the argument that the cows in the field were treated better than the slaves. Like if you were a farmer, you don't just go out, you don't just go out and beat the crap out of your cow just because it looked at you. That's true. You know, it's like they were literally treated worse than animals. So don't say. It wasn't that well, bad. That's the thing. They were livestock. They were, you know, chattel slavery. That was kind of. The but they were treated worse than the than the than the actual livestock. You know, it's. I remember working on my dissertation and ran across a diary, uh, or not a diary, a, a will from a woman in North Carolina, and she wrote that she wanted to be thought of after she was dead. She wanted to be thought of as a benevolent slave owner. So do not sell the children of our slaves until they're seven years old. Bit of an oxymoron. What a revolutionary. Yeah, because at seven they can start doing some legit work. Yeah, that's when they're worth more money is what that actually means. (laughs) (laughs) That's unfortunate, yeah. Three three hots in a cot, hey, that's pretty good. But Mm -hmm. of course we're going to sell your children. Mm -hmm. And the big unspoken ugly truth of slavery, and if you look at the slave census from 1850 and 1860, it's very evident. A lot of slave owners were taking advantage of their slaves because you have black oh, slaves, forefathers, enslaved people, black enslaved people, mm-hmm. and then a whole bunch of mulatto children running around. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson is the yeah. biggest example. Of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want to explain it a little bit? Oh yeah, he had I, I don't know the exact number, but I mean he had a bunch of kids with quite a few different you know enslaved people that he had on his property. I mean it's it's. He had more, you know, mixed children than he had his own with his own wife. <laughs> and mind you, I was, um, uh, does anyone know off the top of their head in the name of Thomas Jefferson's home? Um, was it Monticello? Yeah. 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 So when I was looking into Monticello, Monticello, they really don't like to, they want to try and like debate that narrative. I was like, well, there, I mean, there's some evidence that he had, might have had kids with his mistresses, but it's unproven. And, you know, it's kind oh, of. Oh, it's, like, it's, no, it's proven now. It, no, exactly. <laughs> but like, even the people in charge of his, yep. you know, Monticello are trying to like debate that. Narrative, even though it's here, it is. Oh well, I, I don't believe that. Well, it's You've funny, sullied a great American hero now. Well, so. Way to go! Well, because yeah. now people are trying to make history about how do we figure out if someone's good or bad. That's not what history is yeah, about. No. We, it's not our no. place to say if no. someone's a good person or a bad person. Our job is to analyze what they've done, their concepts, whatever, and just say this is what they did. This is the benefit of it. This is the negativity of it. I mean, I had to get on my class the other day because they're over here saying, "Oh my gosh, Stalin's terrible. Stalin's worst." I'm like, guys. You may think that all you want, but that's not why we're here. Mm-hmm. Because at the same time, Stalin made Soviet Union the second strongest industrial nation on the planet. 
that's a benefit. That's a good thing he did for that country. Now, that doesn't negate the bad things he did. Morality. But it's, yeah, but that doesn't, that, but that, that's not our job as historians. It's just, it's one, it's too big of a task to just go through list by list and say, good, bad. It's also it's like bad. Santa Claus. very hard to get to the truth when you're not objective. Exactly. You're not right. being objective. Yeah, we're you're not, supposed to be objective. Yeah, we're yeah. not a committee of moral judges. Mm-hmm. We don't try and mete out some punishment on long dead people. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. And yeah, you guys are. We're right on point with that. It's also kind of like, you know, this has been heard before. For some things, not all things, but for, you know, when it comes to some things, you know, things were acceptable back, you know, like I'll use an example. I am not defending the institution of slavery, but when Washington was a president, slavery was accepted in the United States. So can you really judge somebody like to the same standard as we are now for like something they did back then when it was considered acceptable by well, um, right. the entire country, you know. Now, obviously, it's a deplorable thing that we do not agree with today, but it is hard. It is kind of hard to hold someone to those same standards as like. So on that same vein, going to Stalin, you know, even back to George Washington, I'd say like as a historian, you know, thought exercise, like how many years have to pass until we can start talking about the good, the objectively good things that Adolf Hitler brought to Germany? I know mm-hmm. that's kind of a. Yeah, you know, Volkswagen. I mean, objectively, he did bring a lot to Germany with a whole lot of evil. But like, you know, we talk about Genghis Khan now in the light that like, mm-hmm. oh, he brought trade to the West. I mean, he killed how many, how, like 10, 15 percent of the entire human population at the time. But yeah. we just talk about now. It's like, oh, but look at the Silk Road. You know, the benefits kind of mm-hmm. came about. How long until we talk about the good of... You know, the horrible names of history. And that's that's one of the challenges of history, because I remember this debate back when I was in college. Um, uh, Joseph Mengele did a bunch of experiments. Horrible Nazi, (laughs) killed a lot of people. But he studied hypothermia. And he would put people in in ice baths to see how long they could last. And what happens is a body dies in, in in cold temperatures. Should his research be completely destroyed, or could you use that research to build better bodysuits and survival gear for shipwrecks? Well, you know, just look at it. Just look at it. Look, look at it. Look, look at it in this in this way. So if you get if you get if you get rid of all that all that um, information, all his victims died for nothing. Right. You know, and obviously you obviously you can't say, man, doc. Uh, Dr. Mengele was just great. He did all these great things. No, from a, from a morality standpoint, he was an absolute monster. But you still can't just get rid of everything that was uh, brought about by those acts. I think perspective is. I think perspective needs to be thought about here too, because in their eyes, they weren't doing bad things, mm-hmm. while the rest of the world obviously things that they did. Uh, there was a movie or a film released, I think, back in December, and it was called The Last Reich. And, you know, as a historian, I had to go to the movies and see it with my popcorn and everything. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, I mean, obviously very depressing to watch, but it interviewed um, a survivor of the concentration camps, a member of the Third Reich that was still very hellbent on Hitler was right. And everything that he was kind of fed into his brain is still clicking. And then we had another member of the Reichs that... uh, was very sad that he had to partake in what he did. <laughs> and I think I had like a mini stroke in the middle of the movie when I heard the soldier or the former Reich member say um, that he still thinks that 
the way uh, Hitler was talking was still correct and that he still stands by those values to this day. And like at that point, my eyes just kind of like dilated and I was like, I can't even sit here and think about this. But then you have to think about the perspective that they didn't have any other media telling them differently because, hey, I would be terrified to speak out against anything at that time that was different because we would be murdered we mm-hmm. would have been just slaughtered or sent and off and your whole to family them. would be yeah, yeah. So. and a lot of them are very sad and they are embarrassed that they had to take part of that and they yeah. kind of like compartmentalize it in their brain and lock it away they don't even like talking about it until you know someone wants to film them and make them upset but you know <laughs> it's it's fine you know, uh, you're <laughs> absolutely dead right though but one of the, the reason Hitler was so successful in that his his final solution stuff is that he had spent they had spent years painting their enemies as the other yeah the weaponizing the yeah. weaponizing yes. and sort of like the same thing that when when people talk about people coming over the border in the South saying, oh my God, they're rapists, they're drug dealers and all this other crap. The fact is they're people just like like our founding fathers who came to this country looking for freedom. Can you blame them for wanting to you know, escape some of the bad, the, the economics and the drugs and all the murders and everything over there? They're human. They're yeah. human. I mean, wouldn't you want to do the same thing? That's well, just the innate human ability of our, our instinct of I want the best for myself and if I have kids, my kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter the means. It doesn't matter what I have to do to do it. But like you said, if I'm living in Honduras and, you know, a cartel is taking over my town, I'm leaving and I'm going where there isn't a cartel, which is the United States, which we should look at as a benefit of the reason they want to come here is because we've done it right. We've done something right. Right. Yeah. We should see it as a benefit of we're doing it right. Of, but we take it as an insult of they, you know, think that, you know, our borders are just invisible and they're disrespecting our sovereignty and all this other stuff. But, yeah, it's like what you said. We're human. You know, humans aren't. We don't naturally just sit there and say, well, and this is my life. That's Hopefully kinda, I don't get shot today. And that's how I can empathize <laughs> and completely sympathize with all those people post-World War One Germany who mm-hmm. are living in absolute poverty, who have no real signs of any kind of bettering society and then Adolf Hitler comes along and gives them some semblance of hope I as a human I can totally objectively see how and why all that transpired you know and that's why it's so important to keep it in the prevalent you know and like you said and and exactly what you said when the allied power the powers that won World War One kept Germany down without Mm -hmm. support made them pay incredible amount of reparations and all uh, that reparations and stuff which led to the rise of Hitler. Yep. And that's the problem is that if you do, if you either help them now or you, you fight them later kind yep. of thing. And the th- if we could come up with a solid solution on our southern border, that would be great. But, mm-hmm. but calling them criminals and rapists and stuff is just absolute. Look at how good our relationship is with uh, Japan. <laughs> there goes the funding. <laughs> Kevin, cut that out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, look at how America handled post-World War II with Japan and Germany. You know, we kind of tried to prop them up and bring them along instead of just mm-hmm. leaving them war torn and savage. Like, look how great our relationship is now. Yeah, with they're them. both allies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It is sort of interesting because there's a, there's a person running for, um, I think it's either Congress, yeah, I think Congress in Ohio, who who's pretty famous, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he blames, he hates Mexicans because his family members have become addicted to crack. Oh. And, and, and meth. And, it's, and, it, and in his mind, it's completely the Mexicans' fault. I mean, it's sort of like, I'm going to I'm gonna go get drunk this afternoon, and I'm going to drive my car and kill somebody, 
but it's not my fault. It's, it's Jim Bean's fault. It's Jim yeah. Bean's fault. Exactly. Yeah, when you go to Louisville, or I blame Afghanistan for the American heroin problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. So one last question before, because we're, we're coming close to our time here. Um, I hope our listeners are having as much fun as we are. <laughs> and you guys are great. The question is, can history save us? Can the study of history as it is and finding a way to tell it in a good way, you know, maybe maybe things like the Civil War and the Holocaust and the Underground Railroad and, and, and Black Lives Matter and all those things are actually really good stories about America and that America becoming. Define I mean, save us. Well, look at look at this way. If you think about and I, I think it was on Ken Burns, um, someone in Ken Burns um, in his Civil War series. One of the people quoted on there said that the Civil War was the last great battle of the American Revolution. And the idea being that if we really believe that all men are created equal, that's men and women, all mankind is created equal, mm -hmm. and that this Civil War, the Civil War sort of set that right, in, in a, or at least a big step in the right direction. You know, that eliminated enslaving of Americans. Um, so is there a way to tell these, these stories that everybody's afraid of? You know, critical race theory stories and, and, and um, anti-slavery stories. Is there a way to tell these stories as great American stories? I think there is, but I'd like to hear what you guys think. I, I mean, you know, as to whether or not it's possible, I'd say, yeah, but... I think the difficulty of it is just kind of the problem. It, currently in the United States, we have one half of the country that hates the other half like the Antichrist. Because I honestly don't, I can't really pinpoint when this happened, but like, you know, you have one person propped, propped up representing, you know, 200, 200 million people yeah. saying that these other 200 million people hate you, they hate your way of life, and they want to take it away. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to, like, you know, share a narrative between all Americans when just, like, half just inherently views the other as, like, the problem. Isn't that kind of our job as public historians, kind of shape that narrative and kind of correct it, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Right. I think that's, I think, how history can save us in that way you put. Um, that I think we can turn what is looked on as uncomfortable into something of triumph, something of, of goodness, like the Underground Railroad, for example. I think that that does not manipulate the truth in any way, because as long as we maintain the same moral values that we have now, that slavery is bad, and that these people, say, for example, in the Civil War, were trying to, to remove that from our society, uh, as long as we look at that as a good thing, then that will always serve the common good. Unfortunately, though, not everybody has the same moral code mm. or ethics Definitely. values. Yeah. I bet you can find quite a few Americans <laughs> arguing pro-slavery at this point. Still, right. yeah. <laughs> Different ideas of morality. That's the thing. Like, morals, you have to, to shift for those to be good things. Mm. Yeah, where all those events have led to a more moral and ethical you know, you would hope a more moral United States, but not if your morals don't agree with those morals. I feel like as historians, I mean, the initial reason why I even fell in love with learning about history was being able to tell people facts and not what I wanted them to read. Yeah. I think being unbiased and the most you can be as a human being is important when you are giving someone facts and the history and what actually happened. Because obviously our textbooks and stuff are whitewashed. Mm -hmm. They're in the eyes of the winner. And that's not necessarily the best when you want to learn what actually happened. <laughs> and 
unfortunately, you know, like I said, morals and ethics aren't always on the same plane, but people need or try to put their egos aside and read about what actually happened, and then maybe history would or can save our future. I mean, it might be unpopular, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think that's too big of a weight to put on history. Really? Yeah, no, one, help no, one's, no one's, no one's going to want to do that. Like it's, like it's like the phrase of you have to be psychotic to want to be the president. That is the weight of the world on your shoulders. So if I were to go into a class and say, guys, you studying this is going to save the world. There's just, that's just so much weight to put on people of, I don't know if it's history that will save us, but it's just, just objectively looking at everything and allowing people to speak what they want to speak, but taking ownership of what I believe Because I think what we do today is you say, I believe, but what you're really saying is, I was told, thus I'm going to take it in. You don't objectively look at stuff yourself. You just say, I was told this, so I'm going to believe it. You don't do the research. You let someone else tell you how to think. And until Americans take ownership of their beliefs, or just anyone, any free nation, take ownership of their beliefs, then history can come in and be a tool to help benefit society. But until people take ownership because that's what it is. I mean, to me, when I talk to people who either I politically disagree with or whatever, um, history can be skewed to fit any moral or ethical code as you wish. So it's never, history and morals and ethics never will align. That's not their job in my point of view is they're never gonna align. So the job of it first is to, people need to take ownership of themselves and their thoughts and their actions then history can come in to be a supporting player. I, I get what you mean. I um, I think that, yeah, like if, if I get what you're saying, you're saying like history is not like the cure-all, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the end-all, be-all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, if we can scale it back, maybe it can't save us, but I think it can definitely improve us as people. Sure. Just like anything can. Science yeah. improves oh, yeah. our society, but science can also be used terribly. Exactly. If the atomic yeah. bomb mm-hmm. can kill millions, it can basically end the human race in a, in a, in a nanosecond. <laughs> yeah. But Everything. at the same time, it can power cities in a cleaner fashion and a much more efficient, right. fashion. efficient fashion. Everything has a caveat. Yeah. It, it's important to pull the back the curtain and just show what's actually happening, but like you said, it's... I, would, I mean, I've seen how damaging and weaponized, we keep on using that word, history has been throughout history and even in our society. I would like to think it could be just as beneficial as it is, you know, it can be used as a negative. So mm-hmm. by that same logic, I mean, yeah, I would like to think it kind of could be the save all, but it would take so much. It would yeah. take so much history getting shoved down your mm-hmm. throat, you know? I mean, like we said, humans are diverse, so you're going to have to make humans somewhat accept a similar narrative. Oh, yeah. There's 7 billion of us. <laughs> Growing rapidly, the odds of that mathematically. Any no math majors listening, you can tell me the odds are pretty slim. Well, <laughs> I, I, and I agree with you. Uh, however, I do believe that if students take your classes, mm-hmm. because you're such a great teacher, it would save the world. But other, there's not enough of you around. Please tell my administration that. <laughs> you want to teach seven million? Yeah. So, but but I think though that um, going back to the what I said earlier about history being a good story well told Mm -hmm. if we can tell those stories that people find uncomfortable in a good way and and tell them in such a way that they're inspiring Mm -hmm. you know if you talk about the underground railroad as a story of heroes Mm -hmm. 
you know, and how that was part of this American dream of, and that's why, you know, people are coming here because we still have the American dream. I've heard people say we don't have the American dream, and I think that's bogus. Yeah. You know, the American dream is very much alive. It's just a bigger sample size, so we don't hear about it. Exactly. Like, it's a per, people take it as a percentage thing of, well, only 4% of people are living that. Well, there's 330 million of us. Everyone can't live that dream. Exactly. So, what is it? If you're making $32,000, like American dollars a year, you're in the global 1%. Oh, yeah. The global 1%. Global, I mean, how yeah. many in America are making at least 32000 mm-hmm. I mean, like, That's significant true. portion. I mean, For we're sure. still... You know, in terms Compared of economy. Compared to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Other On a global scale. Like, yes. yeah, I heard this made. the other day that, you know, everybody's afraid of China and China's mm-hmm. going to take us over and everything. China's economy is not as big as California. Yes, yeah. by several billion. And yeah, it's dependent billion. on ours. Yes, so exactly. if they go to war with us, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I know. Yeah, but again, it's history or perspective, you know, perspective being manipulated to get okay. a narrative. Spain, Germany, and like a two other entire countries are bigger than the mm-hmm. GDP of uh, California. Like that few, like four countries in the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. So back to, you said something about the American dream. Um, are you hearing that from like American citizens or people that have come here for that? I'm, I, I'm seeing it. You've seen it. I see that. I, it's interesting to see, for example, um, uh, one of my colleagues, his, his, Dad is a U.S. Marine, was a U.S. Marine in the Vietnam War. His mother was a civilian, a Vietnamese civilian. Came over here. His family joined them later as Vietnamese most people. Some of those people have turned into in great successes. There's a gentleman out in, in, I think it's in Missouri, who came in here with nothing and got a job at an at a, at a, uh, Asian restaurant and was making $14,000 a year, was able to save 7000 bought his own restaurant. Now he's a billionaire and owns a string of restaurants and companies and all sorts of things. This, I mean, it's possible. It is possible. You may have to work for it pretty big. But the other thing I've noticed too is that when I was in college in the 80s, um, women sat in the back of the, of the classroom and didn't participate. The biggest shock to me when I got back into the classroom you know, in 2000s, when after I got my doctorate, is how much women are now voicing, how much they're in the front of the classroom, how much they're leaders. So I think we're we're evolving forward. And 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 I'll tell you, another thing I like to tell my students is the good old days suck. <laughs> um, because the, um, I mean, you can't. There's no thing that you can measure that says that the past was better. I mean, most people have a great view of the past because. Their favorite time is when they're like 14 years old, they're playing in the backyard with their best friends, and their mom just called out that she just ordered pizza and it's going to be delivered. That what That's when life is wonderful. You don't have mortgages to pay. You don't have medicines to worry about. You don't have, have health care. The same disease that killed my grandfather in 1966 was outpatient surgery for me. How, I mean, how can you say that it was better? There's just... It's well, that people nostalgia were, people have yeah. to get past. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And that nostalgia there, it's easy. Yes. There's yes. no this, there's no it's responsibility. Yes. So right. just like we've talked about, it's just it's easy. That's what that's what people do. They just try to find it easy. But what you mentioned, I was gonna mention and I, I, I apologize if this comes as pandering, but that's another reason my students tell me, specifically my female students, like why would I be a historian? 
all we do in here is talk about guys. That's all we do. And I'm just like, I, and I do my best to include as many women as I can. But, and again, we're moving in the right direction. But they, I mean, they explicitly say that out loud to me. They're like, oh, here we go. Another guy who did something terrible. Like, that, you know, that's, that's what I'm hearing. And, you know, again, I don't want to come off as pandering, but maybe as historians, we need to start shifting perspectives of, you know, we need, we, we need to give you know you talked about inspiring i'm sorry if i put myself in the place of a woman i'm not going to be inspired by all these men i'm hearing about doing terrible things and then never hear about a woman why would i get involved yeah. what's the point it's the same with minorities people of color yeah. why are they inspired by these white men that's yeah. what i was going to say when we look at american history it's all about george washington thomas mm-hmm. jefferson these that Rich, how much of our men. yeah how much of our perspective has changed on the day-to-day life of colonial America because right. we started taking into account of the enslaved people, of the people who were running the plantations, of all these other people who've never had a voice before now, you know? But then when you weaponize, sorry, you can go, sorry. No, go ahead. I say, but back on the weaponizing part of it of, but if I do that, I'm, I'm going to be condemned as, oh, now you're tearing down our history. Now you're telling us George Washington's terrible because you're telling me I got to talk about Jane Adams more. I got to talk about whatever. No, I'm not discrediting anybody. I, we just need to shift perspectives. Yeah, there are just as amazing African-Americans and women and everything else as there were white men in America. Yes. Yeah. It's not taking away. You're just adding more. To exactly. Yeah. Yes. You're adding more to the American story. Yeah. Rebecca. I think it's important. I think the American dream to Americans is very different and it, it's evolving and changing, which is amazing. But I think that the American dream to someone who doesn't live in America is still similar to the way it was thought of, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Right. I just finished a project with another class and I interviewed a um, man from Romania who came here to get his PhD in chemical engineering. And the interview was, it was good, it was fine, but the last bit really just kind of struck me in my heart. And he was like, it's, it's amazing to me. Well, the, it was for the VOA, it's Voice of America. And they were broadcasting news to Romania when they weren't supposed to be getting outside news sources. This was, he left Romania right at the end of the Romanian revolution in 1989. So he got out, but he he had to dig for his own news, his own news sources. But he said, it's amazing to me that I live four miles from the very station that broadcasted news to me 35 plus years ago, and that I have the chance and the opportunity to live in America and experience it as I am. And it really just, it kind of just made me emotional because I think we take it kind of for granted, but we do have. We do. Oh, I think we think that as Americans, I'm not living the American dream if I don't have the biggest house and the nicest right. car and designer clothes. But can't we just be grateful that you don't go to hungry, you have a house over your head, you can go on vacation. You can listen to the radio. People can't do that in other countries. They had to listen to the radio and on the quietest setting, under a yeah. blanket. You can read whatever you want, right. watch it's, whatever you want. It kind of just puts it in perspective. But, he said that the beginning of the pandemic was the way he lived his whole life. Like, shelves were empty. There was nothing on the shelves. There was the, they even rationed lights on the road. Like, the, it was always dark. And I was just like, holy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> we can't wow. fathom. We can't fathom <laughs> Holy that. wow. Yeah. It seems like almost unrealistic. You know, it seems like yeah. almost impossible to have that. Yeah. He said the first thing he remembered when he landed in Raleigh was like, it was so bright. It was like a movie set. There were so <laughs> many lights on the road. And I was like, wow, that's so crazy. Because we take lights for granted. <laughs> yeah, we do. Everything's yeah. over at the flip of a switch. Right. Yeah. Nuts. It's nuts. 
I can't think of any better way to end this podcast. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Thank you. It's been an honor to uh, to do this with you folks, and I look forward to doing this again sometime because yeah. this has been a blast. Mm-hmm.